welcome to the podcast series Talking Success, connecting the global fintech community. I'm Stacey Jafter, and today I'll be chatting with John Ashley, General Manager of Financial Services and Technology at NVIDIA. Today, NVIDIA is increasingly known as the AI computing company, accelerating financial services with AI. Hello, John. How are you? Hi, I'm well. Thanks, Stacey. Good morning. How has your day been? It has been great. It's pretty early out here in California. So just watching the sun come up over the hills and kind of enjoying the fact that they're, they're still a little green out there. It's lovely. I love asking the question of people are early risers. Is that, is that a you or you, would you call yourself a morning person? I am not naturally a morning person. Okay. I am married to one. So uh, yes, <laughs> I have become, become a morning person. I love that. I love that. Um, today was one of the earliest mornings I've had in a very, very long time. My sister and I decided we want to start having a personal trainer and she has a very, very far commute. So Ooh. I had to get up just like after 5 a.m. To, to train and I haven't worked out in months. <laughs> so it was just something that I, I promised her will be workout buddies. And I it's it's 4 p.m. and I'm crashing and this is the beginning of your morning. <laughs> I don't know how people, some people have these crazy like 4 a.m. wake up times. I just, I just do not resonate. That's definitely not my natural state. That's for sure. <laughs> awesome. John, I'm really excited to dive right in, hear more about your career and essentially what led you to become general manager of financial services and technology. Yeah. So I guess in one sense, um, you know, the whole journey was a series of happy accidents, but they do also say that, um, you know, when opportunity knocks, it, it it's easy to ignore it, right? You have to kind of be ready yeah. to open the door. So before I joined NVIDIA, um, I had already spent uh, a fair bit of time. Uh, my background educationally, um, I'm a master's in electrical engineering, a PhD in computational science. So the more practical end of simulation and, and AI rather yeah. than the, the more theoretical end. Um, and I had worked at a variety of end user consulting and vendor firms uh, before I joined. So I'd already done that whole career arc of individual contributor and then moved into management, expanded the team. And uh, I really decided at that point I wasn't interested in that. So I'd gone back to being an individual contributor for a while. Uh, and I joined NVIDIA's financial services team. Uh, and one of the things that has set NVIDIA apart for me, and one of the reasons that I've been here so long, going on 12 years now, um, is that as a company, our technology moves so fast and it's so radical every generation, the, the improvements and the changes that we can make, that you're always learning something new, right? If you want to become a deep expert in something, you're still going to have to relearn how it relates to all of our yeah. products and, and our software and our innovations. And so it's a really constant learning environment and it's, it's really a mobile culture. Um, we're really good about sharing people between groups and, and that internal mm -hmm. mobility. And so um, I took advantage of that, right? I looked for opportunities to challenge myself. Um, you know, I didn't look to just jump out of roles because, oh, there's something bright and shiny over there. Yeah. But kind of looked at opportunities to volunteer and, and challenge myself. 
uh, and take on a, a string of more challenging roles. And uh, eventually I got to a point where I was you know, ready to dust off some of those management and leadership skills again mm. uh, and, and leave the IC world and, and move back into a, a management role. Uh, did that, moved into our AI consulting area, started that up, started up our AI consulting partner program, uh, and then came back to our financial services team. Uh, there was a need there. Uh, we did did a little bit more focus there. And so uh, kind of took that opportunity to step back into that role. Fantastic. How does working for multiple departments or different projects, how does that work? Because I'm trying to think within my organization, if I gave somebody a project to work on and then there's another manager that gives them a project, how would, how was that possible to, to actually manage? It is a, cha- a challenge and it's a dynamic challenge. Every day is different that way. We're heavily matrix managed here at okay. NVIDIA. Um, and so we, you know, as an individual contributor here, you deal with that every day. You generally have two or three different people that legitimately can ask you to do something. And it's really important to learn how to manage your time and how to say no or how to say, mm-hmm. hey, I need you two people to talk and agree on what the priority is between these two things. Because I don't want to make that call, but I can't do them both. It's a great way to force those prioritization discussions, whereas if you just have one manager giving you work, Mm. I think sometimes, uh, you know, there's things that the company needs done that don't get done. So for us, it works. So communication is key within a business, no matter what, but especially in a structure like this. What advice do you have to better communication in any elements of a business? So I think just talking to people. (laughs) It's really obvious, right? Sounds simple. Um, But it it makes a big difference. I think the other thing is for certain things and learning where that balance is, sometimes you just have to put things in writing to make them clear. It's just Mm -hmm. too easy to to miss things or to misunderstand things um, when you're talking, especially if you're talking across cultures, across time zones. Yeah. If you're talking to someone in their third or fourth language, you know, it, it makes sense to write something down so they can go and look at it and and so that you can see what they're trying to say when they may not feel as comfortable speaking up in a meeting because they don't feel like they're as eloquent as they want to be. Um, but when you give them time to write, they can actually, you know, organize their thoughts and get out what they want to say in a really meaningful way. So I think finding that balance is important, but writing some stuff down is key. This is actually fantastic advice because I just onboarded my first native French speaker. He does speak fluent English, but having his first language be French is something I do have to take into account. I am also a very fast speaker, so I have to slow it down sometimes. Is there any additional advice you have on this? Because this is actually really useful. Uh, I definitely, you know, if I'm running a meeting, I like to make sure that everyone has said something. Okay. If it's the sort of meeting where I expect interaction, right? Obviously, if you're just passing information out, that's different. You know, and it can be as simple if you're still practicing that skill, right? It's just you've got a list of everyone that was invited to the meeting. Put a check mark next to their name when they've said something. Mm. Um, Check in with people. I try and when I'm checking in with people from California, we have people on our team in most of the world's time zones. 
I try and, and check in at a time that is reasonable for them. It means the occasional early meet, early morning or late evening. But if you have these distributed teams, uh, I think that's just a little gesture of respect. And it just means that the people you're talking to are, aren't exhausted. Yeah. You know, they're, they're in their, their zone. They're, they're ready. They're, um, they're able to bring themselves and really participate. And I think that yeah. we, especially American firms, especially California centered firms, yeah. um, frequently, you know, start thinking, Hey, it's Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon. We should have a meeting. Uh, forgetting <laughs> that it's Saturday, you know, middle of the night, Friday, Friday evening. Yeah. You know, Saturday morning, really early everywhere else in the world. And I think you just need to be respectful of that. It makes mm. the communication go a lot further. It's much more effective that way. I love it. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this first of all because of your background, but data scientists seem to be all the craze right now. And many businesses are struggling to find the right talent for this. Why do you think now is the time fintechs are needing data scientists? That's a great question, actually. I think it's not just fintechs that need data scientists, right? The financial services industry is really waking up to the fact. I mean, there's always been some leaders that have been strong in the field. Yeah. But everybody is waking up to the fact that um, the competition is getting brutal, mm-hmm. right? And, and there are as many reasons that fintechs need data scientists as there are fintechs. But if you want to really generalize, right, as a fintech, you're probably doing one of two things. You're either doing something someone else is doing and you're just doing it better. Mm. You're reducing the friction. You're making it more pleasant. You're making it more convenient, right? Or you are doing something so new that no one else has done it, either because you found a loophole in a regulation or you're just willing to try things in a new way. No matter which of those you're doing, right, you are... Potentially, you started out as a data-centric company, so you needed them to start with. But even if you didn't, the big banks have woken up and the big insurance companies, right? They've all, and the big payments companies for that matter, have all woken up and they've realized that, uh, you know, if they don't respond to the fintechs in their market, they're going to die the death of a thousand cuts. And so, as a big firm, you have two natural advantages. You have a large current customer base and you have years of data on them. And so the big firms are going to start monetizing and weaponizing that data mm-hmm. in their struggle to survive. And if you don't fight back in that same way, you're going to all the energy you spend building a customer base, all the marketing, all the money you plow into unprofitable initial customers to get share, um, those big guys are going to come and they're going to serve your, eventually, they're going to figure out how to serve your customers better. They're going to figure out how to use that data they have to, to absorb your customer base. To make it worse, big retail and big tech are coming for certain sectors. They're not everywhere. Yeah. But if you think about what they're coming for, a big tech firm is probably not really interested in running savings accounts. Yeah. The margins on it are lousy compared to the margins they make in the rest of their business. But, 
right? They're, they're not interested in your payments flow either, because frankly, again, the margins are terrible. What they are interested in is advertising. And the best way to pick what you're likely to buy and what you can buy is to know how much money you have and where you spent it. Mm. So I think the data is what they're after. And so if your competitors, right, if their advantage is they've got years of data and a big customer base, or, you know, as you, if you come from big tech or big retail, if they could find more than 360 degrees to have a view of the customer from, they would. Um, you know, they are inherently, they've started out as a data science based organization. That's the realm you're competing in now. And, you know, you, you're not going to get very far without your own ability to wring every bit of advantage you can out of the data you have or can get. That, that I think is the driver. Yeah, a very interesting conversation I had with somebody on the podcast I'd say about six months ago is how many startups pretend that they're automating quite a bit of their process, but in essence, it's a human, it's an Excel spreadsheet. It's really not as complicated as it seems, but as the business grows, of course, things become more automated. Another element of data science is AI. Where is the line between AI and human? I think today it's pretty easy to draw that line, right? AI is a tool. Humans are tool users, right? We can build, just like we can build a hammer that's way better for pounding in nails than your your fist, we can build an AI that is way better at identifying cat pictures on the internet. Yeah. When you start to get to something like self-driving cars, right, it takes, there, there is no one AI that can drive a car today. Any self-driving car has multiple AI systems. Uh, a teenager in some places in the U.S., you can get your your learner's permit or your driver's license with as few as, you know, well, under 40 hours of actual experience behind the wheel. There is no self-driving car on the planet that you would ever even allow out in your parking lot with people standing in it with only 40 hours of experience. You know, these AI today is is very specialized, it's very focused, it's very much a tool. I've always found it to be a very interesting balance because I look at myself and how I use financial services, use fintech. And I actually really enjoy the tech elements of it, but I do understand there are certain moments. For example, if someone were to wipe my bank account, I don't want to speak to a robot. I don't have the patience. I don't have the time. And in that case, I need that human connection because I trust a person. I want somebody to tell me it's going to be okay. This is the next steps. Um, And I want to know it's a real human behind that. And a question for you would be, tech is really cool, but we have to go beyond that to build trust. How has NVIDIA done this? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, And it's a great point about trust. And so I think I want to give that as sort of two answers. Um, As a date with my data scientist hat on, right? Regardless of what company you work for, right? One part of data science is just the statistics and the, the AI tech tools and knowing the how to use PyTorch and TensorFlow and all these other tools of, of data science. Um, and that's great. But the sort of next level of data science is really the storytelling piece, right? How do I take 
all these numbers because, you know, famously, right, there are lies, damned lies and statistics. How do I take these, these numbers and relate them to the business and relate them to outcomes and relate them to what's, what's going on with real people? Um, and so this, this essence of storytelling, right? Um, is key. And I think a lot of data scientists have recognized this over the years, right? There's a, a great book from the fifties called How to Lie with Statistics, which is basically about storytelling with numbers. Yeah. Um, you know, Tufty, uh, famously a lot of visual storytelling in his, uh, his work. Um, Monier has a great book, How to Lie with Maps. Uh, and it, it's all about how you tell the story, how you frame the numbers. Um, and I think as data scientists, we can build a lot more trust in these systems by understanding that we need to put them in a story, in a narrative. That narrative needs to be clear, understandable, transparent, and honest. And that'll, that'll get me to, you know, how has NVIDIA built trust in the financial services industry over the years? Um, you know, in year one of our business, um, there were a lot of people that were like, oh, this is really interesting technology, but you're not going to be here in another year. And I'm sure many of the fintech uh, listeners out there will relate to that. Why did they feel that way? Because they thought you couldn't really compete with the big guys. Exactly. That's exactly it. They thought that if we made it, got any traction, one of the big guys would come in and, and steal the market and crush us. Right. So, you know, in, in that sense, we were very um, fintechy. Uh, right. We were going up against established competitors. We were the new kid on the block. We were struggling to get acceptance. We were challenged to get channels to market to uh, accept our product. Um, but trust is a thing that you have to earn, right? So it takes time. Um, and I think one of the key things is you just have to keep showing up. You have to yeah. be there, right? That depend that being there is key. I think a real other differentiator for us, uh, as I was a, a solution architect in the field, interacting with customers, I viewed my mo the most important part of my job was to tell a customer, no, that's the wrong project. Mm. Um, you know, that is not where we're going to shine. You are going to have a less than stellar experience here. Um, because there were all sorts of projects where they were going to have a great experience, but there were some where they weren't. And helping them avoid those bad experiences, even if it meant we didn't make a sale, um, yeah. was an investment in the relationship. Um, and it meant in the future, uh, sometimes they tried it anyway. Um, and okay, your credibility goes up. You were right. They didn't mm. have a great experience. Other times they, they, you explained to them why and they, they got it. And the next time when you said, Hey, this one's actually going to work. Um, you know, they, they would make time to listen to you and they'd talk through it with you. And when they did run into a snag, instead of just giving up, they'd come back because you had told them it was, it was going to work. Uh, and you, you were willing to, to engage and show up and help them there. So I think that, you know, that combination of showing up, being really honest, thinking about what's best for your partners, your customers. Yeah. Uh, and trying to deliver that is the key as a company to building trust. And it's, it's very, there's a lot of similarities between as a data scientist, what you need to do 
to build trust in the process and what as a company you need to do to build trust in the product. Fantastic. John, thank you so, so much for being on the podcast. It was lovely having you on. Oh, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Fantastic. Where's the best place for listeners to reach you? They can find me on my LinkedIn, John Ashley at NVIDIA is easy enough to find, or they're welcome to use my email, jashley at nvidia.com. Great. Thanks again, John. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Talking Success, Connecting the Global Fintech Community. Feel free to follow us on LinkedIn at Talent in the Cloud. And if you're interested in exec talent, expanding your team, or you yourself are looking for a new, exciting change in your career, check out our website, talentinthecloud.io.